How many know there's a lot going on in the world right now? Man, greatest understatement, right? Um, why? And people ask, why is it happening? Why is there looting and riots, violence in the streets and stuff? All of, well, I mean, these, there's a lot of things going on in the world. And just blaming other people without understanding what's going on doesn't help either. And so I believe um, faithfully that a lot of things have changed in the world. But not just the world itself. I think even in the church and even in some of these big movements in Christian circles have changed as well. But I believe God has an answer. Um, it's not something we can just tiptoe around. Um, it's something that needs to be hit direct on with truth. And so after a lot of prayer, I'm beginning a series on the Ten Commandments and what they mean for us today. Sometimes people have a tendency to say, well, that's Old Testament. Let's just read the New Testament. But all of God's Word is inspired by God, and all of it is His complete story, and God does not change. And so I want to begin a series on the Ten Commandments. Today I'm going to give an introduction and cover one and two. The next eight weeks I'll do verses or commandments two through ten. It's a very, um, very good and deep instructional uh, messages on the Ten Commandments. And so I encourage you to uh, uh, continue coming or watch them home and uh, let, let God speak to you because they're not just for yesterday, they are for today. So my message today is entitled, Under Command. Before Jesus left this earth to ascend into heaven to the right hand of the throne of God, He gave explicit instructions of what we should be doing until He comes again. And while it's possible that some instruction may have been lost under em, underemphasized or modern translations, I'm pretty sure that he didn't expect us to be spending a lot of our time glued to the TV, endlessly surfing the Internet, gazing at our phones or electrical devices, and doing a million other things that only feed our desires. He was very clear about what we should be doing until he comes again as He gave His last command. We see it in Matthew 28, verse 18. It says, When Jesus came near, He spoke to them. And He said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. So wherever you go, make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to do everything that I have commanded you. And remember that I am always with you until the end of time. Let me ask you, how well have you been following this command from the Lord? Jesus states that we can be assured that He will be with us always. But if this is not your daily and constant mission, is it any wonder why so many people doubt and question the presence of God in their lives? Too many people who identify themselves as Christians admit to having a hard time sensing God's presence in their lives. And yet, if they were honest, they'd be the first to tell you that they have strayed from following this last command of Jesus that assures that He would always be with us. How about you? Is His great commission your daily mission? If not, then why not? In your eyes, what has become more important than listening to God and following His commands? 
It's not only the politicians who have sacrificed their morals to become politically correct these days. It's also been many in the worldwide church who are afraid to preach the uncompromised truth of God's Word. Charles Spurgeon. Anybody ever hear that name? Charles Spurgeon was known as a tough preacher. He'd probably be jailed today for preaching what he did, preaching the uncompromised Word of God. But he spoke it like it was. He was never worried about being politically correct or offending people with truth. When it came to his belief about the importance of evangelism, he had some very strong words. I want to share three of his quotes on this subject. First, he said, Brethren, do something. Do something. Do something. While societies and unions make constitutions, let us win souls. Secondly, he said, Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Third, he said, lost, lost, lost. Better a whole world on fire than a soul lost. Better every star quenched and the skies a wreck than a single soul to be lost. You see, when Jesus commanded us to tell about Him and the world, He wants us to continue to tell with others and continue to share because that's the only hope that the world has. This has to be the driving passion in all of us. That's why we had the message last week on one way to share your faith. If it is not, then we will see our faith fizzle out. Why does it seem that our country is becoming more secular than religious? A lot of it is because too many who identify themselves as Christians have placed the desires of their own lives far above the needs of others, having neglected the absolute priority to fulfill the Great Commission and to teach others about Christ. In 1980, if you recall, I remember this well, in 1980, religious displays in public schools were ruled unconstitutional and all postings of prayers and scripture citations were removed from school walls and halls and classrooms. In 2003, you may recall this, it was made national news. In 2003, an Alabama justice defied a federal court order to remove a giant 5,300-pound granite replica of the Ten Commandments in his courthouse. Anybody remember that? He was subsequently banished from the bench for this public stand of defiance. And while many Christians were wildly upset when the Ten Commandments were removed from courthouses around the country, many have remained silent over the last several years when the almost complete removal of these same commandments have disappeared from modern evangelism, which means they're not taught anymore. In much of modern evangelism, whether done through a church or individual efforts, the focus has strayed from using the law and the Ten Commandments to establish conviction and has moved to trying to persuade someone to try this wonderful product or just try Jesus or try being a Christian. Listen, if you can convince somebody into the kingdom, they can be convinced out of the kingdom. The only way someone comes to Jesus is through conviction, not convincing. And that's done by the Holy Spirit when we present truth. It is this exchange in methodology and simply not wanting to offend people with the truth of the Word of God 
that has caused a sharp decline in the number of people coming to the Lord in true and lasting conversions. For unless there is first a conviction, there will not be a desire to change. Unless there is a death to sin, there cannot possibly be a new birth or being born again. And unless there is heartfelt repentance, there is no staying power in salvation. Galatians 3.19 says this, What then is the purpose of the laws given to Moses? They were added to identify what wrongdoing is. Moses' laws did this until the descendant, speaking of Jesus, to whom the promise was given, came. It was put into effect through angels using a mediator. That mediator was Moses. They gave him the law and he shared it with the people. God gave Moses the Ten Commandments along with the rest of the law to show people the standard. It wasn't given to say you have to do these. It was, it was given to say you can't possibly fulfill all the law. Remember when Adam and Eve ate the fruit and they wanted to be like God, God said, okay, you want to be like me? Then you've got to be perfect. And if you want to be perfect, here's the law. You have to follow all of these 100% of the time because God does if that's what you want to be. So the law came by saying you can't possibly do that. You need a Savior to, pay, to, to make up the difference. That's why the law was given. God gave them the law to show people a standard or the line by which all would be judged according to God's righteousness. Without the law or a clear standard, people would argue that sins or transgressions feel right to them. I don't know about you, but about 20, 30, 40 years ago, there's a lot of things that have been legalized as okay now that was a sin when I was younger. That's, that's, that's not right. The truth does not change. And so if we start to justify what feels good for us, then we will totally continue on sinning. That's why God gave a standard. Proverbs 14, verse 12. There is a way that seems right to a person, but eventually it ends in death. We can say all we want that it's okay with me and I don't, it's my truth, it feels good to me, but God is the ultimate judge. So another word that's not used in the church today is judgment, but it's all over the Bible. But there's also grace. If we understand that, then we can be receptive of His amazing grace. What seems right to a person is dictated by his own flesh or sinful nature, which is inherent in all of us. We all mess up. I mess up all the time. I'm not ashamed to say it. I need God. I need Jesus. I need His grace. Our sinful nature is the one that jumps in the driver's seat every time and wants to be the first one to jump in the car and drive us every day. Unless we purposely and deliberately make a concerted effort every day to kick him out of the driver's seat, to kick that sinful nature out of the driver's seat and turn over the steering wheel to the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we are doomed to take the road or the way of death. Galatians 3, verse 21. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. That means if we could achieve righteousness by obeying the law, then God would have done to us. But the law shows us that no one is perfect, the Bible says. 
All have sinned. All fall short. That's why we need Jesus. He's not someone that you should try or check it out. We need Him to come to God. The law could not bring life. Rather, it could only bring death by showing us that we could not attain righteousness on our own. And thus, we are separated from God. Left to ourselves, we are hopelessly lost and eternally damned. The Bible tells us. It is this realization that everybody has to come to first in order to understand the unequivocal and absolute need for Jesus as their Savior. The Ten Commandments did and still do serve a purpose in preparing a soul for salvation through Jesus Christ. When presenting some of the Ten Commandments, we all see that we are guilty before God and that we need Him. That's the purpose of the commandments and of the law. Galatians 3.23 and 24 make it clear. It says, Before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would be revered, afterward be revealed. Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Do you see it? The law shows us we're guilty if we acknowledge it, Shows us that we need Jesus. That we come to Jesus and Jesus says, I give you my love and my grace and I forgive you of all of your sins. As long as you come to me knowing that you need me, not just you want to try me out. It is the acknowledgement of the law emphasized and highlighted in the Ten Commandments that has served for thousands of years to bring people to Christ. So why would it change now? It hasn't changed, but people have changed. People not wanting to offend others with the absolute truth of God have purposely strayed from using the Ten Commandments not only to bring about conviction and prepare a heart for repentance and ultimately salvation, but people have also neglected using the commandments to govern their own lives. It is this exclusion that has systematically taken out the fear of judgment in so many people today. Why is this fear needed? It's because it keeps us under guard as the Word states. Take a look around you in society today. Turn on the news. Look at all the big cities. The riots, the looting, the violence, and the governing officials who are okay in that and endorsing that. The number one problem is that many people have no fear anymore. If there is no fear of getting in trouble if there is no fear of breaking the law or no fear of the authorities, no fear of choosing the wrong path or the wrong set of friends, what do you think the end product will be? The sad fact is that there is a level of disrespect and dishonor and uncontrolled behavior that is so appalling in many people these days that it is very dangerous and extremely troubling to think of what our future holds if this unrestraint is allowed to go unchecked. I know you've thought about it as you watch what's going on in the world today. But understand, I want to make this very clear, the answer is not in a new law passed. The answer is not in a government figure or a political stance. You vote for your values and you vote for what you believe is right. But understand, the answer in the world is not going to come through a political or through man's means. The problem could only be remedied by giving God His due honor and due reverence. Proverbs 29, verse 18 says this, Where there is no revelation, 
the people cast off restraint. But happy is he who keeps the law. You see, where there is no revelation from God, people choose to ignore His commands and live according to their own insights to be led by their logic and their flesh. The people cast off restraint. They don't care. There's nothing keeping them under guard anymore because there's no fear that's keeping them where they need to be. Fear becomes a casualty on the side of the road. Look at all the big cities right now where it's clearly evident there's no fear. There's no fear. Listen, I'm not trying to preach a down message. I'm trying to preach a truth to answer what's going on in the world right now. However, the Bible is clear. It says, happy is he who keeps the law, thus preserving fear to keep us close to God. We must not take for granted all that God gave us by giving us the Ten Commandments that we might be brought to Christ and be kept in His grace. And again, grace means you can't follow all the commands on your own. You need His help. And that's why we get God's grace. Because we're going to make a mistake every day. We need His grace. But we need to understand that we need Him in order to receive that grace. Following God's orders, Moses went up to the top of Mount Sinai for 40 days and nights to receive ten commandments from the Lord. I want to begin in Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 and 2. It says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am. Notice what He began with. His name. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. Remember the Israelites were in bondage in Egypt and, they, and God delivered them through the miracles and the plagues. God begins with His name, I Am, and He makes it personal. I Am your God. In doing so, He reminds us that He alone is the bondage breaker because He alone knows all that we need. He alone could lead us out of bondage because whether it be at a conscious or a subconscious level, our sinful nature continually leads us into bondage. God not only breaks our bondage, He leads us out of the land where we were susceptible and vulnerable to bondage. But only if we trust Him and submit to Him and worship Him only and acknowledge the power in His name in all that we do. With this understanding set forth, He gives us the Ten Commandments to be our tutor to bring us to Christ, even today. How does it work? Well, I want to examine an analogy um, that was put forth by a ministry called Faith Talks, Faith Talk Ministries. My, my hope is that it will help you understand the law a whole, a whole lot better from this perspective. The Ten Commandments are like a spiritual mirror that shows you that you are out of shape. You know those mirrors that you don't want to go by because you already know you're out of shape? <laughs> well, the, the, think of that as the Ten Commandments. It's a mirror that shows you that, that you're out of shape. This spiritual mirror cannot make you slim down or become healthy, even if you stop avoiding going past the mirror. It, it, the mirror can't change you. It can only show you or reveal to you your current state. There's only one who can make you spiritually healthy or righteous. Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Suppose a young man walks up to a mirror and sees a chubby face, a flabby chest, a fat stomach, and weak arms. A 
feel like I'm writing this about myself. Unhappy with his body, he decides he wants to change. So he goes out and hires a personal trainer. Under this daily guidance and an individual program, the young man starts eating healthy and working out. He trades in his soda pop and cappuccinos for water and exchanges his fast food dinners for grilled meat and fresh vegetables. After following this program consistently for a while, the young man returns to the mirror for another look, this time finding that he is in great shape. Was it the mirror that got him in shape? Absolutely not. The same goes for godliness, which is being spiritually in shape. You can't achieve or reach godliness on your own no matter how hard you try. The personal trainer is the Holy Spirit who comes to each one of us individually. He knows how we learn. He knows what we need and how to speak it to us. The water, the meat, and the vegetables are the Word of God. The exercise program is godliness or living by faith and becoming like Jesus. Therefore, when you acknowledge that you are a sinner, that you have missed the mark, that you have transgressed the law, the Ten Commandments, the holy standard set by God, and turn to Him accepting Jesus as your personal Savior, you become a child of God and receive the Holy Spirit. It is a miracle that happens. It's not a light thing. And as you remain obedient and daily walk in the Spirit, no longer being held in bondage and being led by your flesh, you demonstrate godliness. And it doesn't mean you're perfect. You're going to fall. And you're going to sin because we have a sinful nature in us. But that's why we have access to God's grace who forgives us and says, get back up. I'm behind you and in front of you and I'm going to be with you as you go forward. That's the promises we have from God. It is with this understanding that we now look at the Ten Commandments that we would indeed see Jesus in these commandments. The first commandment, Exodus 20, verse 3, says, You shall have no other gods before Me. Why did God make this the first commandment? Obviously, we see the necessity and the complete allegiance to God and trusting Him only to lead us out of bondage. Yet there's also a very personal reason why God began with this command. You see, one of the rules about interpreting Scripture is to always go back to what it meant in the first place in context. Not immediately assume it's for everyone. So back in context, there was a reason why God gave this as the first command. The Israelites had just left Egypt. And the belief in many gods, which is called polytheism, the belief in many gods in an Egyptian land, it ruled the land. The Lord knew from where the Israelites had just come, just as surely as He knows from where you have come when you begin your walk with Him. The Israelites were exposed daily to these gods and their respective teachings. Therefore, it was certainly probable that some Israelites may have had a favorable opinion or a liking to some of these gods. Some Israelites surely may have committed idolatry with them as they were in bondage while the Egyptians were free. It would have been natural to think, what are they doing right if they're free and we're in bondage? It would have been natural to stray from God's Word to at least consider that. Knowing this, God had to wash them clean of any tendencies in the past 
to follow the temptation of worshiping other false gods. With this same perspective, God speaks to each one of us today knowing from where each of us came, knowing what we came out of, knowing the bondage that we came out of, knowing the places where we are vulnerable to give into temptations. He knows that about each one of us individually. In fact, we are all tempted to break this command in a variety of ways. The sin against this commandment is giving glory to any creature which is due to God only. As John Wesley notes, Pride makes a God of ourselves. Covetousness makes a God of money. Sensuality makes a God of the belly. Whatever is loved, feared, delighted in, or depended on more than God, that we make a God of. God knows the bondage that He led us out of where these temptations reigned. And He also knows what lays ahead of us. Just as He knew where the Israelites were going for they were headed into the land of the Canaanites. And God, wanting to prevent them from worshiping false gods, lays this command before them and for all their succeeding generations, including us. One of the greatest cautions that a Christian must ever be aware of is being set free from one bondage only to be captured by another. It is for this reason that many go from one stronghold to another from one bad relationship to another bad relationship, from one addiction to another addiction. It's because of the sinful nature in us. Without a holy standard to submit to and the power and grace of God to lead us, our freedom is short-lived. For the sinful nature of our flesh continually pulls us into bondage while the Spirit of life in us yearns for freedom. And that is only found in daily obedience to Jesus Christ. As we look deeper at this first commandment, I want us to also consider another truth about the ending phrase, you shall have no other gods before me. Now I understand that positionally, but I want you to look at another aspect of what it means to be before before me, as God's perspective. Regardless of what we may think, if we follow or worship anyone or anything else, God will know it. For all we do is before Him and in His awareness. Placing money, popularity, lust, power, pride, the need to be right, anything or any even another person above the Lord God is an intentional act in front of His face. God's face. Matthew 10.28 Jesus said this, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear Him who was able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You see, without fear, there is no reverence. There is no honor or healthy respect for the Lord. God said, You shall have no other gods before Me. That's how He begins. If this doesn't produce fear in you to respect this command, then what will? Fear is a motivator to stay on the right side of the law. I don't know about you, but if I was young and I hit the, hit, grabbed the stove or something was burning and I got my hand slapped, I'm not touching that stove again. A little fear or reverence keeps you safe. 
But the politically correct way today is don't tell people to be afraid or to fear. It's going to hurt their self-esteem. It's also going to drive them further away from God. So what's happening in the world today as we've, we've endorsed this message of not hurting people's self-esteem and now they're so far away from God that they don't even see it themselves. Without fear, we blur the lines and cross over to the side where we willingly invite justice to be meted out against us and consequences to be assigned. When you see the riots, the looting, the crime in our cities today, you can be assured assured, there is no fear that keeps them from breaking the law and putting others' lives in danger. Do you see why I have to teach on this? Proverbs 1, verse 7 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. You have a choice today to be wise and fear the Lord or to be a fool like much of the world which has ignored this first of all commandments. If it's the beginning of knowledge and you don't start there, you're going to miss all of it, including your need for Jesus as your Savior. The second commandment also gives restrictions on false worship, but it is a completely separate idea. Exodus 20, verses 4 and 5. God says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them nor serve them. The second commandment deals with making images or idols to worship. One reason why this is prohibited is because our religious worship must be governed by the power of faith alone. Throughout God's instructions, we see that we are to walk by faith and not by sight that we are saved by grace through faith. And that without faith, it is impossible to please God. In this command, God goes on to say, one must not bow down to any image or show any sign to honor them, much less serve them by sacrifice or any other act of religious worship. Our worship was designed to culminate in God, directly from our heart to His. Therefore, it would not please Him if it came to Him through an image or through another created statue or through another icon we put up and then goes to Him. We need to go directly to God. I don't think that God could have been more clear than when He restated this command through the prophet Jeremiah. You know this verse, but I want you to understand what God is saying here. Jeremiah 29, 12-13. Then, God is speaking, then you will call upon Me and go and pray to Me and I will listen to you. And then you will seek Me and find Me when you search for Me with all your hearts. Five times in these two short verses, God makes it absolutely clear that we are only to pray to Him. Not an image, not an icon, or a statue of anyone. All these things, though they are practiced even in some traditional churches today, are a clear violation of this commandment. Anything that takes the place 
or gets in the way or becomes a substitute for our focus of God Himself dilutes our worship of Him. It compromises our relationship and belittles the Lord and is a direct violation of God's holy commandment. So how can some traditional denominations get so far away from this truth? Well, much of it goes back to their insistence to follow a human substitute for their earthly mediator between them and God. Praying to a priest or a bishop or a pope or even a dead saint is along these same lines and it takes them further away from God and the truth of His message. Here's the truth in the Word of God. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus. Jesus is the only mediator between us and God. So we pray to Jesus. We pray to God. We are not to pray to someone else or to something. He is our, he is our one and only mediator. One go-between to get us to the throne and access the, access the covenant with God. We are to go directly to Jesus our Lord. And we can go directly to Jesus our Lord. Our worship, our devotion, attention, focus, and prayers are to go to none other and no other than God Himself. The use of images in some traditional churches continues because they leave out this commandment in their list of the ten joining the reason of it to the first. To make up the Ten Commandments and to justify this deliberate deletion, they divide the list of what we should not covet into two separate commandments at the end. Thus, their first commandment is edited to a paraphrase stating only, I am the Lord your God, you shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only you shall serve. They completely delete the part that you should not make a carved image. This allows them to continue to teach and encourage the worship of carved, sculptured, and produced images of other saints who have gone to be on with the Lord, even though God is clear. In context, Exodus 20, verse 4 and 5, God continues to go on to say, You shall not make for yourself a carved image, as I shared, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them nor serve them. We are not to make for ourselves any likeness of anything in heaven above to be the object of our affections or the focus of our prayers. In fact, God goes on in His explanation of the second commandment to further warn against violating it and give severe consequences. Exodus 20, verses 5 and 6. God says, For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. I want you to understand something about that word hate because it's used in the Bible several times and people don't understand it. It's not the same emotion of hate. It means that they, hate means that you, that you, it's more preference. There's a scripture verse that says that God loved Jacob and hated Esau. It means that he loved, that, that there was, that there was a, a favor upon Jacob more so than Esau. There's a scripture verse that says, unless you hate uh, your family above me, then you will not, you cannot follow God. That means you need to always put God above that. It's a difference, hate. Okay? I just want to make clear with that. But showing mercy to thousands to those who love, to those who love me and keep my commandments. 
As the first commandment requires the inward worship of love and desire and joy and hope, so this commandment requires the outward worship of prayer and praise and solemn attendance to His Word. God desires to show us mercy to all those who love Him and keep His commandments. And while we cannot keep them in our own strength, He invites us to live by faith and to receive His grace and His forgiveness that He now extends to us who come to Him knowing that they need a Savior. Yet this grace is only offered to those who have been convicted by the truth of the Ten Commandments that would show us our absolute need and our utmost desire for a Savior in Christ our Lord. Until you have honestly feared what is at stake and what you have lost, you cannot and will not appreciate what there is to gain with a lifetime commitment to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Last verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 55-57. through O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, if this message brought conviction upon your heart, like I know it does to mine, because I know I'm not perfect, and I know I stray, and I know I sin, and mess up as the Bible declares I'm going to. And so when that happens, you don't stay in guilt. You don't stay in shame and condemnation. You take it to God. But you have to first acknowledge it. Now this is not on the overheads, but I want to read a part of Scripture for you. It's in Psalm 51. And if you know anything about this psalm, it's when David realized that he sinned. When David realized that he committed adultery, and he he committed murder, Remember that the Word says that God says that David was a man after his own heart. How could someone who committed adultery and murder be a man after God's own heart? It's because when he realized he sinned, he went to God and he took care of that sin. God is not asking or expecting any of us to be perfect. But He's asking us to acknowledge that we have done wrong, and we all do, and to turn to Him. So as I read from Psalm 51, this prayer of repentance, if any of the message today stirred something up, of something that you are dealing with or going through or that's holding you back, I pray it would be your prayer that we all repent together so that we could receive God's salvation in all its fullness and His grace in all its fullness and His forgiveness in all its fullness. Here's Psalm 51, a prayer of repentance. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to Your loving kindness, according to the multitude of Your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only I have sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in Sin, my mother, conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. And in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Make me hear joy and gladness. 
hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach the transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion, build the walls of Jerusalem, then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness. With burnt offerings and whole burnt offering, they shall offer bowls on the altar. Listen, the way we make a sacrifice to God is we admit that we have sinned, and we all have. We let the Holy Spirit do a faithful search of our hearts, and then we confess to God. And we give it completely to Him and we stand on His promises that when we do that, God's Word says, I will remove your sin from you. As far as the east is from the west, I will take it away from you. I will remember your sin no more. God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness when we confess our sins to God. We're going to go into a song of reflection here. And I want you to understand that God wants to take that sin, that guilt, that shame, that pain away from you so that you can be restored and refreshed and healed by His grace. So as we're going through this, whether you're singing or just searching out God right now, as God brings something to your mind, release it, acknowledge it between God, and just say to God, even quietly, God, forgive me. I acknowledge it's there. Forgive me. I want to be restored. Let's focus on it right now.